Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the Kempenfelt Crew podcast. My name is Jeremy McGrady, and this week we were joined by Dylan Remick. Dylan is a former Major League Soccer player, formerly of the Seattle Sounders, as well as Houston Dynamo. In our conversation, we discussed his collegiate career playing at Brown University, and also what he is currently doing living in Chicago and studying business. Here is that conversation with Dylan Remick. Enjoy. I am now joined by former MLS player for the Seattle Sounders and Houston Dynamo. He is currently a candidate for the Masters of Business Administration at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Dylan Remick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Happy to be here. Well, it's a pleasure for us. And so let's talk about your career in soccer, even though you just retired two years ago now from a concussion. Talk to us about, we'll go all the way to the start of your career. We'll start about high school. Where did you play in high school? What position? Talk to us about your high school start. Yeah, absolutely. So I played for my actual high school. I played left mid and center mid, um, a suburb up in northwest suburbs of Chicago. I played for a small club called FC United. They've since now merged with the Chicago Magic um, here in Chicago and played center back there um, for those four years I was there. I enjoyed, you know, I kind of loved high school experience. I know nowadays it's very different, but I have a twin brother who also played, you know, club with me and on the high school team. So that was always an awesome experience to share the pitch with him. Um, Definitely high school is when I started to become more serious about soccer um and kind of made it you know at least a pact with myself to see how far i could push it um see how far i could go so high school was a great starting ground and so during your high school days who would be players that you played with or guys that you would look up to in the pro ranks at your position in the mid area yeah so i knew i always actually wanted to play you know left back um, but just based on high school and, and club, that was never it. So, you know, I always loved watching Gary. He was younger. I mean, he was just incredible, especially back in the days at Tottenham. Um, he was kind of the guy that I wanted to, you know, emulate my game after. Um, even when I was playing, you know, left wing, I mean, he still does it. He's, I mean, he's still doing it now. Um, and then, guys, I mean, Chicago is always a pretty big market. Uh, I played club with a guy named Chris Ritter, um, who had a few years um, in MLS with the Fire. Um, Harry Shipp was a big name in Chicago at the time as well. And also had a very successful career. I actually played, when I was in high school, I went to a Jesuit high school. And we played uh, a St. Louis high school Jesuit team, and Will Bruin was on that team. He, he absolutely dominated in high school um still doing pretty well in the pros so um yeah I was I mean Gareth Bale is a guy that had definitely emulated my game or tried to at least um just loved the way he played um with the speed and the passion so yeah yeah to me watching Bale play even when you mentioned the younger days I mean he's an absolute machine back there in the back end and he's able to just move the ball so effortlessly being able to make some nice passes along the pitch and so being from Chicago us Canadian people up here in Canada know Chicago is a pretty tough town so 
playing soccer in Chicago, would you consider it a little rough and tough style compared to what other people consider? I would definitely say so, especially when uh, when it gets cold and windy. Definitely takes the uh, aesthetics out of the game a lot of times. It's just hard to, to ping passes together. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of uh, hard-nosed games, uh, both in high school and club, growing up, which was fun as well. I enjoyed Absolutely. it. And, you know, me being a Canadian citizen, I can understand that. And we have to play in snow, play in the rain, play in wind as well. So we understand the toughness being from Chicago and being from there. So let's move on to your collegiate, moving into collegiate level. You go to Brown University and you start your career there. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I had an incredible time at Brown. Um, I got really lucky with the class that I was, you know, coming in with. Um all still great friends today. Um, one of the guys in my class, Tommy McNamara, is still playing for the Revs. Um, so Brown was just an awesome experience for me. It was, you know, very different. Um, Ivy League schools don't have athletic scholarships. Um, so that was something that not knowing at the time when I, you know, signed to go to Brown, but something I really admired was without any scholarships, you know, everyone's kind of on an equal playing field. Um, there's no egos based on scholarships. And so, you know, I thought the team itself was was a really tight-knit group. Um, kind of went through it all together. Kind of had that chip-on-our-shoulder mentality, which was awesome. Um, yeah, Brown, I loved my time at Brown. Um, you know, we had some good years, which was awesome. Getting to go to the tournament all four years was something really special. Um, so we got to play, you know, all the big teams at Indiana, you know, Boston College, uh, Cal. So we had some great games against some great players. Um, great learning environment for me. And again, I think just being in that community, that environment was, you know, something special to me and, and helped, helped me grow as a player for sure. And so you mentioned you had a couple good years at Brown. One of them in particular would be you being able to score two goals in the NCAA tournament. Talk to me about being able to score a goal in the tournament, considering, you know, not many current MLS players can say that they've scored at the collegiate level in the big tournament. Talk to me about that. Yeah, no, that was, that was awesome. I, for some reason I could never score in the regular season, but uh, got lucky in the tournament. Um, the first game was actually, I think that was my junior year. Um, that was at St. John's and I remember that game. It was a one Oh game and that was just a tough fought game. Um, so to be able to help the squad in that way was, was kind of surreal. Um, and then that also took us to the Sweet 16, which was obviously for Brown a huge, huge deal for us. Um, again, being able to to score in those moments is always, you know, a great feeling, um, not only for yourself, but also to help the, the team in another way. Um, definitely something that I'll always remember for sure. Um, unfortunately, we didn't win that second game in the Sweet 16 game, but um, – yeah, definitely moments that I'll definitely I'll cherish forever. Absolutely. And so after a few years being in collegiate level, being at Brown, you got to play a little bit in the USL um, Development League, playing for Worcester. Talk to me about playing there. Yeah, that was that was a great experience. Um, I played there for one summer. Um, again, it was just awesome to play with guys that you don't normally get to play with. Um, so we were all in that New England area. So there were guys from BC, Boston University. Hofstra. Um, and it was also not only just to, you know, share your experiences together, share your collegiate experiences, get to know 
um, new players or players that you have played against but never really gotten to talk to. Um, and then you also got to learn a lot because you're coming in, everyone's got a different style, every team has a different style. And so to be able to try and figure that out within a short time span, um, it was a really, really fun experience. Um, definitely a, a summer that I enjoyed. Again, when you get to play soccer in the summer as well as you know for your college team, it's always a little bit more fun to play. Um, and you know, getting some of those competitive games in is also always fun. But at the end of the day, those that was just mostly fun to to meet a lot of the collegiate players in and around the New England area that you'd seen um, in games, you'd seen on film, but you never really got to talk to. Yeah, and so after that summer, you end up being drafted 35th overall in the second round of Seattle. Talk to me about the MLS draft, being able to be a part of it and get be drafted by a team just like the Seattle Sounders. Yeah, that, I'll definitely never forget that day. That day was awesome. Um, I was actually playing a video game during the draft because I was at home with my dad, and obviously there's nerves, there's excitements. You don't know if you're going to get drafted or where, and so... I was trying to uh, distract myself as much as possible. Um, at that point, I was just hoping, you know, some team would take a chance on me. Um, so when I heard my name, especially, you know, at any team, hearing your name is an incredible feeling. Um, and then after, you know, the surreal aspect calmed down and I, you know, realized that it was Seattle drafting me, I was kind of over the moon. You know, you hear certain franchises really do it right in the MLS, especially from an extens expansionary uh, team. Um, and there's always incredible things to say about Seattle. Um, they do everything very professionally. So to be able to get picked up from a team like that with all the incredible players that they had, I was very, very ecstatic, a little nervous, um, you know, because then once you get drafted, you have to prove yourself. So nervous and excited for that. But, you know, that draft day is, you know, it was awesome because it just, you know, goes to confirm and validate all the work that you put in, you know, in high school and in college and all those extra hours. So, you know, to see it come through, to be able to fulfill, you know, your childhood dream. Um, yeah, that was definitely an awesome time, an awesome day. And it would be. Now, now, probably the most important question on the podcast was what was the video game you played when you were being drafted? Because <laughs> when you hear all these, you know oh, well, you know, when I got drafted, I was just sitting on the couch watching or I was not even watching. I was just sitting having dinner. So what was the video game that you were playing? Was it FIFA? No, it wasn't. I was I was watching. I was watching the draft as well. Um, I was playing Skyrim. Oh. Scrolls, yeah. Huge fan of that game back in the day. When was the last time you played Skyrim? Oof. I played a little bit. I played for the next few years on and off. Um... When I got to Seattle, there were a couple other guys that would play video games as well. Some of my roommates, so played the played more like multiplayer games with them. But every now and again, probably a few years though, um, when the whole video game world has evolved since 2013. Um, but yeah, that was a it was one of those games where you can kind of just go and do whatever you want. So I could like watch the draft, kind of do something on the side in the game, and if I had to, you know, really focus, I could just let it go and. It wasn't like somebody else was counting on me in, in a FIFA game or something. Yeah, I I never played Skyrim, but basically everybody and their dog besides me played it, and they're like, oh, well, I was playing Sky, Skyrim, and I'd watch them play it, and I'd be like, what is this? I've never seen it. I've never played it, and I, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of it because if I get into it now, 
I'm going to lose it, you know, a couple months later. So <laughs> Gaia was a game I never ended up playing. But now, you know, Fortnite and everything, that's a game that I play not a whole lot, but I, that's the game I would play. So moving on past the video games, we'll move on to the uh, Seattle Sounders. You got to play four seasons with the Sounders. Talk to me about, you know, go down year by year with the, with the Sounders. You, you know, didn't start out right away being playing a full season. You had to work your way from being a substitute to maybe cracking the lineup now and again. Talk to me about being able to crack a lineup like the Sounders. Definitely tough. Definitely tough. Um, yeah, the first year for me was a huge learning experience. Um, so that was, you know, the first half of the season was, you know, getting my legs under me, um, trying to, you know, think quicker, play quicker, everything, just trying to up my game. Um, in order to consistently play and practice each and every day with the with the entire full team. Um, and then, you know, getting that first start later on in the year was an awesome reward, I think. Um, awesome to be able to, you know, have your first start or first game. Um, but, yeah, that first year for me was, was mostly just a learning experience. Um, one, proving to myself that I could play there, proving to the team, proving to the coaches trying to garner the the trust and the confidence in your teammates as well. Um, I think that was important for me for that first year. Year two was, it definitely had a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Um, so that was probably one of the most, you know, instrumental years in my life in terms of, you know, going through all the adversity, um, trying to learn and not to take the highs too highs and not to let the lows affect you too lowly. You know, the start of the season was awesome. You know, started the first game, Started the first few, played a fair amount at the beginning, um, was feeling really good um, about, you know, not only the game, but, you know, how the team was playing, you know, my interactions with everybody. Um, so the first half of that year was was really good. I, I felt really good about it, um, was able to contribute, you know, in a lot of games. And so it was, you know, it was a hugely motivational time. And then, you know, went through a pretty bad injury um, right around the middle of the year. And unfortunately, that injury, you know, lasted longer than I thought, um, but also kind of shook my confidence for the remainder of that year. Didn't really feel totally confident. Um, part of it was physical, but I think a lot of it was psychological as well. Um, so, you know, being in that low space where you're overthinking just the simplest things, nothing's really going right. You know, the more you work, you're working harder, but not necessarily smarter. Um, just making it a lot more difficult for myself. Uh, that was definitely, you know, a huge learning opportunity for me. Um, not only, you know, on the field, but, you know, later in life, you realize that those are life lessons that you can apply off the field. Um, and it was also tough, too, because that year was such a good year for us as a team. I mean, that was when we won Supporter Shield. We won the U.S. Open Cup. So to be able to help at the beginning, but not be there, you know, for the team at the end um, due to both injury and just not feeling right, not feeling, you know, not getting back up to speed. Um Obviously, that was a little bit of a, you know, you're happy for the team, but you want to be, you know, every player wants to be the guy, you know, in at the at the big games. And so to not be able to contribute to the team in those moments was something that I not only wanted to do, but I wanted to work myself back into. Um, and so, yeah, that was that was kind of the second year. And so a lot of a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Um, the third year was definitely an interesting year for sure. Um, again, I think that was a year that I played my most in the MLS. Um, so in terms of, you know, personal growth, I hit a lot of milestones that I wanted to. Um, that was a year that I, I really felt comfortable. I felt like, 
I could contribute. I could be a player. I could be a role player on this team, start in games that I needed to, you know, help out in any way. Um, again, unfortunately, uh, the end of the year, a little bit of injury, but again, just fell out of favor. Um, and that was just a rough year for the, the team as well. We had a lot of, a lot of things going on um, with that team. And so what started off to be a promising year, um, I think for the team and, you know, for me personally, just ended in a little bit of a, ended well short of expectations, so to speak. Um, and then again, fourth year was probably another crazy year. It's, it's interesting. Every year has, has all these moments that you, when you look back on them, um, you kind of realize um, that was a crazy year as well. Cause you know, midway through the year is when the coaching change happened with, with Ziggy um, to, you know, Schmetzer is now doing a great job there. Incredible job. Um, and so going through that with the team as well, I mean, that was the first half of the year just was just bad in general. Um, I think we were bottom of the league, um, nothing really going. And then coaching change had a few key, key pieces come into that summer transfer window as well. Um, but ever since then, I mean, it was just a skyrocket toward the top. Um, so that was a, another very interesting, very, you know, adverse team year, I'd say. Um, and I think the team responded incredibly well. And that was, uh, you know, a frustrating year at times for me, but also an incredible year. And, you know, again, had to deal with a little injury um, at the end of the year um, during the playoffs as well. But, you know, to be there with the team and, and to win MLS Cup, I know is against your your squad so um definitely a close game definitely an intense game um but to be able to you know be part of the team you know be there for four years um you know be there through all the highs and all the lows with the sounders um and to be able to cap it off with uh with a first ever championship that's you know something special you know something that'll always stay with us i think that team will always have that together and so yeah definitely in a very good high to end my career with Seattle in terms of the team aspect. Um, I know I talked a lot, um, kind of went through it year by year, but a lot going on in those four years. Well, yeah. And I, you know, appreciate the fact that you went year by year with that. Cause a lot of, you know, listeners would like to hear, you know, what happened in each year and hear about the, you know, good and the bad. And you talked about, you know, the injuries you had, the ups and downs that the team had, and so even, you know, going all the way up into today's game, how the mental side has been taken so much awareness now today than it would have been, you know, when you started. Talk to me about how the mental side when you started is now completely different now into today's game for today's players. Oh, yeah, totally different. I think as the MLS grows, you know, the mental aspect of the game grows with it and you have to be stronger mentally. Um not only stronger mentally, but also just more aware. Um, and to have people, you know, help build that up for you and help, you know, be resources for you. Um, like, you know, I think it's also something that you, it's hard to really realize or appreciate until after it, you've, you, you've had a, a low, because then you kind of sit back and you, you kind of go over that, okay, where was this mental lapse? You know, it's hard as an 18 or 22 year old to be mentally tough especially, you know, coming through college, playing all the time, not really getting hurt, you know, things are kind of going your way. And then for the first time in your life, you're not starting every game. Um, if things go badly, it's not just a, a college team that knows it's a little bit bigger than that. Um, so it's, it's a learning experience. It's, and it was an incredible one for me. I mean, 
it definitely builds up your mental, you know, strength. Um, sometimes not through the easiest of ways, but um, it's something nowadays I think a lot of people underappreciate in terms of not only MLS players, but all professional athletes, what they're going through, especially with, you know, how quickly it is um, for people on the media to to bash them for something as simple as, you know, a missed shot or a defensive lapse. Um, and so to to go through that and to, you know, come out on the other side of that. And I think a lot of players in today's age are doing that pretty well. Um, I think that's a huge credit to not only the players, which it obviously is, but also the team um, and the clubs who are kind of helping guide those players, especially the younger players through some of those times that uh, might be a little bit more difficult um, to navigate by yourself. Absolutely. I mean, me being a partial member of the media, I kind of don't like how us as media sometimes bash a player, you know, where we shouldn't be scrutinizing. We should be saying, well, yeah, sure, he made that mistake and he could have done this, but you talk about the positive of what the athlete did where, oh, well, he made this great play five minutes ago and yet you'll bash him, you know, for the next play five minutes down the road. So the mental aspect from a media member is, you want to bash because as soon as you bash, you get those ratings and you get people to have a take from what you get. And so for me, it's like, well, sure, you can bash them, but you also want to praise them for for their effort. It's like if I were to say that, you know, like Cristiano Ronaldo or whether he's had a bad game, this was the worst of his career yet, you know, maybe for that first 45, he was making excellent passes, yet that one mistake can, you know, ruin your day and ruin, you know, what you have. But Moving past that, we'll talk about now the Houston Dynamo and how you went into the MLS um, re-entry draft. Talk about how the re-entry draft works, because with Seattle, they declined your option for 2017. You move into Houston. Talk to me about that. Yeah, that was definitely, I mean, that was a day after we had won MLS Cup. So definitely uh, an interesting 24 hours, so to speak. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that players get their options declined and what drafts that they go into. Um, for me, based on the amount of years that I had played um, in the MLS, as well as my age, I was eligible for one of the re-entry drafts. Um, and there's two different re-entry drafts. The first one is the team um, drafts you and with you, they you know take on your contract. Um, and the second one is that they essentially get your rights, but they have the ability to renegotiate your contract. Um, so I was still on the last year of my rookie deal. So um, was definitely looking, talking to teams. And, you know, I, I talked to Houston a little bit throughout 2016 and was hopeful that they would give me a shot. Um, one of the scariest moments is right before one of those drafts because you never really know what's going to happen and your career is a little bit on the line, so to speak. Um, I was actually with uh, my friend from college who's now still playing, Tommy Mack, and I remember talking to him about being a little bit nervous on what I was going to do had it not all worked out. So it was a, a jolting experience, um, but super excited when you know I heard that the Dynamo drafted me. Um, again, for me, it just – you know, put a little chip on my shoulder. I wanted to prove that I, again, still belonged in the league, um, could show, you know, could do, you know, could still perform and, and keep up. Um, so for me, it was a huge relief, a huge excitement. Um, and again, you know, the Dynamo have been there for a long time, had really successful years, 
they were in the middle of a really big rehaul. So it was an awesome time to go to the club. Um, really, really happy for, you know, the club for giving me that shot. Um, and yeah, it was, it was kind of just step let's go call Houston home and, and kind of see what we got. Um, you know, bring, bring what I can and, and hopefully things work out. And when, once you got to Houston, you started to have a bit of a career years in Houston, you were able to score a couple of goals in the MLS playoffs. Again, not something that everybody can say that they did talk to me about again, your year by year experience with the dynamo. Yeah. 2017 was an awesome year. Probably about probably the most fun year I had playing in MLS um one i was reacquainted with some really good buddies that i had played with before in seattle um and so that was awesome that made me feel more comfortable right off the bat um and two is just i think it was just a fun year as a bunch of guys who were coming from different teams from different leagues and you know that team kind of had that chip on our shoulder mentality where you know we weren't seen as one of the premier teams going into that year and so it was you know, fun to all be bought into that idea together. And obviously, you know, I had some really fun games myself. You know, I was ecstatic to score my first MLS goal. That's, you know, again, a, a day that I'll never forget. Um, and then also, you know, going through the year, it was definitely an up and down year. We pretty much won every game at home and pretty much lost every game on the road. So it was a very interesting year in terms of that. Um, but you could kind of see things were coming together toward the end of the postseason. Um, we're, we're eking out some really good on the road ties and wins. And so that playoff, the playoff series was exciting. I mean, I'll again, never forget that day in Portland, you know, again, one of the most incredible places to play. The fans are insane. My brother lives in Portland. So he was at the game with his now wife. And so, there was a lot going on. There were a lot of motions on that day. And so to be able to just contribute, again, help the team out in any way possible. Um, but not only that, just like that, that year itself, I think we, you know, proved a lot of people wrong, um, especially from the beginning of the year. So that was kind of just an incredible experience to be with that team together, to go as far as we did when nobody really expected us to but us. I think those are always the years where those teams really, really come together. Um, and you, you create some special bonds. 2018 was, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. We'll get to 2018 here in a moment, but yeah. back to 2017. I mean, you mentioned, you know, scoring in Portland, a place that, you know, has one of the best fan bases in MLS, having your brother in attendance, being able to, for him to have to make that realization that you have scored an important goal for the Dynamo and you guys, unfortunately, lost in the conference semi in the conference finals pardon me to your former team in seattle i mean that had to be a little bit of a heartbreak knowing that a year later you're in the same position you're in the conference finals you get all the way to that point and and now oh no this is the team that i played with just a year ago there's you know people that you know on the other side and you know losing to a team like seattle who end up that year playing again tfc in the MLS Cup finally is something that, you know, you would have been having mixed feelings for knowing that you lost, but at the same time, there's people over there that you're happy for. Yeah, it's a, I mean, you said it greatly. Um, you know, before the game, it's excited to see old friends, old teammates. Um, obviously, you wish for the best of all of your, you know, former teammates and friends. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. Once you get on the pitch, I mean, all you want to do is win no matter who's on the other side. And so as, as exciting as it was to make it that far, it was, it's one of those very difficult time to lose because you get so close. Um, I mean, just one, one or two games away. Um, and so, yeah, you have mixed feelings because you also want to beat the team that you were formerly on. That's always a good feeling. I think everybody will agree to that. Um, but after the game, I mean, once you go through all the emotions um, the next day, I mean, you are you excited for your your former teammates, even though you are hurt that it's not you going. If there is a team that's going to go and represent um, the Western Conference and it's not going to be you, it's it's good to be, you know, some former players um and coaches and organizations so yeah definitely mixed emotions for sure um but yeah on the pitch i think you don't really think of it as as former or current it's just that's the opposition and unfortunately we were just a little bit unlucky that year but still a very successful year all in all now in your career i'm sure that you've had you know your slew of yellow cards do you can you count how many times you receive straight reds I don't think I received a straight red in the MLS. Um, I may have received one of those in college, um, but not positive. Yeah. No, straight red would have been tough. Uh, <laughs> but as defenders every now and again, definitely quite a few yellows, though. Oh, yeah. And like that, that's the one thing with being a defender is that you're going to have your yellows just because of, you know, you having to battle for the ball and then a straight red, you would have had to have done something pretty certain to be able to get that straight red. I mean, I've never played, I only ever played when I was, you know, all the way up to seven years old. And back then, you know, you could push a kid down and get away with it. But mm-hmm. at the pro level, even today, even like you could feel that you softly touched a guy and yet you'll get a yellow and you'll have those types of complaints. And so, and again, you being from Chicago, you know what, you know, yeah, okay, I deserve that yellow. I pushed him pretty good. Or, you know, okay, I didn't really touch him. But talk to me about now, basically. So we'll go to 2018. So December 2nd, 2018, you announced your retirement from the MLS. You suffered a concussion. Talk to me about your retirement from MLS. Yeah, 2018 was just a tough year in general. Um, concussed pretty much the entire year. Um And so throughout that year, I was kind of figuring out what my next steps were going to be. Um, I think that's probably the hardest decision of my life, because on the one hand, you know, you can hopefully get back and play this game that you can only do for so long in the first place. And it's your, you know, as my childhood dream, my first love. So you never want to say no to that, because once you say no and once you say you're done, you can never get it back. Um, So that was on the one hand, I really, really wanted to continue to play. You know, on the other hand, if it was any other body part, I think it would be a no-brainer. But, you know, because it was concussions, because I had had a history of concussions in the past, um, this one obviously took a really long time to get better. And, you know, for most of the year, I didn't really know if it was going to get better. Obviously, I was hopeful, but you never really know with these things, um, especially concussions, because you can't really take a scan of your head and tell you, okay, it's this much healed, it's totally a feel thing so um yeah coming up to the end of the year that was just the decision that i had to make um houston was incredible throughout the entire process um supported me no matter what um and for me i just got to the point that you know based on the history based on how long this last concussion had um been going on for um 
and they also, you know, I wanted to do something else whenever I retired. Um, I just came to the decision that it wasn't worth it. Um, obviously a very, very tough decision, um, but a decision that I don't regret, um, you know, because it's, you know, above all else, I, I had to put my health first and I don't think concussions are something to kind of, you know, play around with. Um, so yeah, it was a very difficult decision, but the, the right decision in my mind. Absolutely. And so now today you're now going to the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. So talk to me about once you made that decision, okay, I'm now going to hang it up. Talk to me about now being able to go through the business process because a lot of people like to take business and sometimes it doesn't work out for them. So talk to me about being able to go through and try to be a person that goes through business. Yeah, I, I'm still trying to figure that out as we go. Um, I'm in my second year at uh, Booth right now. So it was definitely a change of pace at the beginning. Um, I think, I mean, six years of doing the same thing, you know, going out outside on the pitch and playing and then being with all of your teammates all the time and all the road trips. Um, there were definitely some times where I was, you know, missing soccer and missing that environment, the locker room. Um, but on the flip side, uh, business school has been extremely interesting. You know, I've, I came in probably knowing close to the least in terms of like the technical side of, you know, business, um, you know, how they're run, you know, pretty much everything related to what I was trying to get my degrees in. Um, so on the one hand, I was in a position to learn probably more than anybody else. Um, so that was really exciting. And on the other hand, I was constantly busy because I had to put a little bit more effort in in order to grasp the uh, the more simple concepts. Um, but it's been a great experience. I think business school, one, you know, you still have that community. Um, so that's been something that I've very much enjoyed and is something that has kind of filled the gap from, you know, retiring from soccer is you're going through all of the recruiting with all of your classmates, you're going through class, you're going to all these events pre-pandemic um, with all of your classmates. And so you do have a really tight-knit community of people that you are most likely or at hopefully at some point going to work with or work for or work together um, in the future. Um, so it's been an incredible experience so far. Um, it's gone by very, very quickly, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, it was, I, was, I was most happy to have something to do um, post-retirement. I think that's that would have been more difficult if I didn't really have a path forward. And um, that would have just made every day a little bit more difficult to figure out what to do next. So really, really happy that, you know, business school worked out and, you know, I've got these few years to learn about all these different job opportunities, learn about, you know, the economy, pretty much everything that I didn't learn. Um, you know, all the technical aspects of, of the real world, um, are things that I'm really much enjoying, um, you know, fine tuning. And so coming back to soccer, who would be your Premier League team that you would watch, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday morning? Who what, Did you have a favorite Premier League team or did you just like to enjoy watching the Premier League? A little bit of both. I mean, I'm a Spurs fan going back to Bale. Um, I think I really fell in love with the Spurs. They had that nasty team. Modric was there, Dembele. I mean, that team was just Lennon on the wing with Bale. That was a, a very fun and energetic team, very exciting team to watch. So they would definitely be my team if I wanted, you know, talk about the Premier League. But 
I mean, you know, always enjoy watching soccer, so I definitely put it on. You know, it doesn't really matter what the game is. Um, we'll just throw it on. And again, it's it's fun to be able to enjoy watching it, not you know as a player, but in a different capacity. Um, took some time to get used to for sure. Um, but it is, yeah, always enjoy putting any type of game on Champions League, Premier League, La Liga. Just, you know, for me, it kind of takes me back a little bit um, to the good old days. So, yeah, we'll never say no to that. How about you? Me, I'm a, uh, well, funny enough. So I start, I fell in love with soccer in 2009. So I got okay. FIFA 10 for the PlayStation 2. And now we're all the way up to PS5 now, 10 years later. So uh, uh, the FIFA 10 cover had both Chelsea and Arsenal players on because that would have been the last champ, uh, Premier League finals. So me being in hockey, I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. So I picked a blue color, which was Chelsea. So okay. back then, Chelsea had DDA Drogba. They had Peter Cech in goal. And now moving all the way up to today, I mean, no one's really left on that team now besides the coach now, for yeah. Chelsea, which is now Frank Lampard. And so... I watch Chelsea now with Olivier Giroud and all that crew. So, and Tammy Abraham and mm-hmm. I watch Chelsea now. And I mean, are they the best premier league team? I mean, you have to have no Liverpool's right now. Top, top, but yep. I mean, Chelsea right now. I mean, I like their moves. I, I they just got uh Hulverts a couple of weeks ago. And so I like that. And it's also interesting to watch right now with the pandemic with them having no fans. And it's just like, mm-hmm. You expect, you know, over there, sellout, big crowd noise, and it's just completely different. I mean, if you were to play today and see no fans, w- would it play a factor for you being to look around and go, geez, it's kind of a little bit different? It would definitely be a factor in terms of getting ready for a game. Um, well, that's one of the coolest experiences is just walking out to the stand, walking out to the fans, um, seeing a packed stadium um home or away both gets you jacked that definitely at home gets you juiced up gets you ready to go um and so that would have that's definitely would have been like the most difficult aspect of it um it definitely would have been there's definitely a uh disadvantage for the home team now um because i do think of like a fan group especially you know in sync fans with that they have their chance that are involved in the game can bring the energy that the team, you know, the home team doesn't have a lot of times. Um, but once you get into the game, um, you know, all that kind of takes a backseat to what's going on in the game. So, you know, the in-game sequences and all of that, I think that isn't going to be too affected by the players. Because um, once you're playing, you're playing, and it's just like any other game. It's like any other practice, you're there to win. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, those little moments, it definitely when it comes to, like, you know, crowd swaying in terms of the favoring the home team and you know getting up for a game i think that's got to be a little bit that would be very difficult for me i think and no i would imagine that's probably difficult for the guys playing right now um and it just takes away the luster and the excitement and the the showboating mentality of it as well so yeah be tough for sure oh yeah so Talking about that, the crowd and everything, you had the luxury with Seattle playing at CenturyLink Field, which when it comes to the Seahawks, it's known as one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. And I'm absolutely sure that it's to be the same thing for the Sounders being 
able to be there in a sold-out CenturyLink and that crowd going absolutely bonkers. Talk to me about when the crowd is there at like a CenturyLink, or actually a better question, which stadium at when you were playing in the MLS was your favorite to play in besides being in Seattle and or Houston? Ah, that is a good question. Um, I It's hard for me not to take, I would say, the cop-out answer. Um, I think playing for Seattle in Portland um, has got to be one of the most incredible experiences. I mean, even when we were playing with the Dynamo in the playoff game against Portland, um, I'd say at Portland, uh, just one, like the way the stadium is set up, the fans are just right on top of you. Um, they're so into the game, especially against, you know, in a playoff game or against a rivalry game. You know, they're so invested. They've got the TIFO. They have all the chance. Portland does a scarf thing, which is sick. Um, so that was one of the stadiums where, like, anytime you go to that stadium, you know it's going to be an electric atmosphere, and it just makes it way more exciting to play. Um, but also, I mean, there's, you know, there's other stadiums, too, that have other, like, sentimental values. So for me, playing in Chicago was always incredible because my parents okay. and my family and my friends all came. So while that wasn't as like electric of an atmosphere, for me, it was awesome. Um, you know, playing at Yankee Stadium was incredible as well because it's Yankee Stadium, right? So um, no, those are kind of the three off the bat that I would say for very different reasons um, besides playing at Seattle and Houston. Yeah, I mean, for me watching MLS now, I mean, when you have fans in there, I mean, I would probably give Seattle number one. I'd give Portland two just because mm-hmm. in the Portland, when there's fans, it's like, good night. You may not win this game. You've got the fans there. But yeah. then I'd, I would put Toronto into that mix too, just because like even during this pandemic, um, the MLS, what they did was they put all three Canadian teams and they just played each other and put them in for regular mm-hmm. season points. And there, and at BMO Field in Toronto, there is a convention center just outside of the stadium. And so there was this little area just outside of the stadium where fans were actually able to go there, socially distanced, outside and look into the stadium. And they had, you know, their flares and they were all, basically it was a basic cheering section outside of the stadium and yet you could hear them. So being like, I don't know if there's anywhere else in the MLS where you can be be outside the stadium, see the game, and mm-hmm. be able to actually still cheer. I thought that was pretty cool. But now that TFC, Montreal, Vancouver have now all had to play down in the States, a completely different scenario. And so we'll talk now probably about who do you think will now probably in this weird scenario win MLS this year, who do you think will win? Because right now you've got Seattle – Tied with Portland, number one in the West, and then yeah. have TFC out in the East right now, up a couple points. Talk to me about the West and how currently Seattle and Portland currently battling it out for the first spot. Yeah, that's going to be, I don't know. I, I mean, I would biasly pick Seattle at this point, but I think one of it is just making sure everybody stays healthy throughout this entire process. So, um, you know, I, you know, because of you know the pandemic that we live in, I think that's a, a very real concern. Um, I've been very impressed with Seattle and how they've you know been able to come back. Um, I didn't think that they had the greatest bubble experience, where Portland had a little bit of a better experience. But 
they've been kind of running on all cylinders, even with guys out for international duty. Um, they're picking up points. You know, Jordan Morris is having an incredible year. That team seems to be very in sync. On the flip side, you have Portland, who is, you know, just as in sync right now. I mean, they had a big win against Seattle a week ago or something. So I think those two teams are going to talk. I think LAFC is always a team to watch out for as well. Um, I mean, they just had a big win against Seattle. And so, you know, if they get Vela back, I don't know if he's coming back. But um, I think they're also, in a weird way, a dark horse team this year, which I wouldn't have said at the beginning of the year. Um, I think the West is is going to be very difficult uh, for all of those teams to come out, especially, you know, when you're taking away the fan, the stadium, all of the, you know, extra buzz that goes into those, um, especially the playoff games. You know, um, I can imagine LAFC is very similar to Portland and Seattle when it comes to how important the fans are. So I think that's going to be very interesting. Um, yeah, Biasly would take Seattle, but I think Toronto in the East is looking pretty good. I'll say that they've been they've been looking pretty dominant so far. It's hard hard to see anybody else unthroning them right now. But again, anything can happen. But right now, I think the they are they are the clears above team right now in the East. Yeah, and so like for me, I'll go back to the stadiums and everything. Like for me, probably my favorite MLS stadium outside of Toronto myself. Being a New England Patriot fan is Gillette Stadium. Like, okay, play in Gillette Stadium. Like, like not many people get to say that they've played on the same pitch field as all these great other athletes. Like Tom Brady got to play there. That you got to like Seattle. Russell Wilson. Like, yeah. So in your time with Seattle, did you get to maybe meet any of the Seahawks players in your time there? Yeah, we met them. Uh, met a few players once or twice through different charity events or. You know, events through CenturyLink Field. Um, they were all like very nice guys. Um, you know, I think it's just fun to be able to share the pitch with the, you know, their sports team. Um, they were much bigger than us, for sure. Um, but yeah, met them a few times. They're all extre- extremely nice. Um, yeah, just uh, it was a cool experience. I think to to be able to you know say that you share the same field with the you know some incredible will-be Hall of Fame players um, in their respective sports. Yeah, and so um, I'll ask you, are you, do you watch hockey at all? I do. I'm a big Blackhawks fan. Um, I played hockey growing up. So oh, really? What position? I played left wing. Ooh! Okay. Yeah. How about yeah, you? I, I was uh, – I, so I started playing wing – but okay. then I moved back to defense, which I actually quite preferred, like, playing defense because everything's in front of you. And, like, you in soccer playing in mid, kind of a lot of it is a, in front of you. You get to see everything coming towards you or you going towards it. And so playing hockey and playing defense, I had puck more than I did when I was a winger or a forward because you, as a defenseman, you get to make the play. You mm-hmm. kind of get to move everything. You get to make the set position. And... Now with Seattle getting an NHL franchise again, it's now going to be interesting for them. And again, you mentioned the Blackhawks. I mean, you guys just lost. You guys lost Corey Crawford to free agency. Big for the city of Chicago. I mean, Crawford was a guy that, you know, bled Chicago. Him, Taves, Kane, you know, all those guys are just 
guys. I mean, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, and I mean, I can remember when the Blackhawk or when um, Barack Obama and Trudeau were doing a press conference at the White House, and Obama was, you know, Obama's a Chicago guy, yep. and of course he's gonna brag and go. Well, you know, you know, right now, who are the current Stanley Cup champions? My Chicago Blackhawks. There we go. <laughs> Trudeau would respond, yes, but your players are Canadian players. <laughs> you can talk about you winning the Cup, but your players are Canadian players. Just bringing that up. But no, because right now I'm living in uh, London, Ontario, which is um, an hour and a half west of Toronto. And Patrick Kane played his junior career here in London. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Yes. So if you were to look up like Patrick Kane, London Knights, you'd see him like be magic before he was with the Blackhawks. And just this year, pre-pandemic, he got his number retired here. Oh, awesome. So, and also other Blackhawks that have, so I think that's actually now for the Knights, there's actually two now Chicago Blackhawks that have their number retired here in Dave Boland. Okay. So he, too, has his reti- number retired here, too. I mean, there's a bunch of NHL Hall of Famers that have their number retired here, a bunch of ex-Leaf players and all of that. So London is an absolute hockey town, but there's also some good soccer players here, too. I won't lie. Um, but, yeah, so I want to thank you very much, Dylan, for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate you joining us, and I hope to hear from you again soon. We'll talk again. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me.